Hello and welcome to the Business of Betting podcast. Today I'm joined by Andy Molitor. Andy, thank you very much for coming on. Before we get into this episode, make sure you follow us on Twitter, at BettingPod, and check out the website, businessofbetting.com. Guest suggestions are much appreciated. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Betfair Proprietary Limited. Betfair operates a betting exchange and is licensed in the Northern Territory of Australia. Residents of Australia can join Betfair by visiting betfair.com.au and support this podcast by using promo code BOBPOD. Please gamble responsibly. So thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy this episode of the Business of Betting podcast. Today I'm joined by Andy Molitor. Andy, thank you very much for coming on. No problem. Great talking to you. I have to ask, Andy, before we get started, your Twitter handle. I don't know. You've got plenty of followers, so I'm sure other people have the same uh, have the same thing that happens to them when they see it. But I always see at Andy not safe for work for some reason or uh, NSFW that you know you see on some of those videos. It's obviously not that. It's MFSW, and I'm guessing it's something to do with Minnesota or something. But tell us about that if there's any rhyme or reason to that. I guess I'll get into it later, my, my early days on Twitter, but I, I was just going to follow people on Twitter. I wasn't really going to interact with anybody, so I went with the, here's my name, give me an account, and I got a lot of grief for that. Eventually, people were giving me a hard time because my I had one of those burner account numbers, or it was Andy, <laughs> it was just at Andy M, like 5678432192219 or whatever, and uh, my my compatriot, the well capper, came up with that one. We we brainstormed for a week, couldn't come up with anything better. I just had to get rid of the the burner accounts at. It was no fun. Uh, people trying to tag me in that, they're not going to go look that up. So maybe safe for work. Mostly safe for work. It's yeah. uh, many times, many places. It's been it's been uh, tried to figure out, and we don't even know what it stands for. So most will know you as the the half of the the deep dive pod with uh, with the whale. Tell us about how that came about and how I guess how that helps your betting. Obviously, you probably spend uh, you know knowing the podcast world as I do. It takes a little bit of time to get all this stuff organized to prepare to get things sorted out. Tell us about how you and whale put that together and what impact it's had overall on your betting. Yeah, like I you know like I said just a minute ago there. I had come onto Twitter just to follow along, and I had my own personal, you know, I had an account where I have friends and people I know on there, and I was, I was starting to feel kind of weird, you know, retweeting people who were giving out free tennis plays on overnight 250s and things like that. So I created, the, you know, the secondary account. I bet plenty of people have done this. You you create your own little uh, Finsta just for, just for gambling Twitter, and... I ended up, you know, finally interacting with some people and that's, it's weird that it's, you know, we mostly talk NFL almost exclusively, especially during the season, but Whale Capper and myself ended up meeting talking tennis. He used to post a lot more tennis. We still bet tennis. I still talk quite a bit of tennis with a lot of guys, but he was posting tennis plays and I was smart assing him in the comments quite a bit and we just got to DMing and... Uh, there's a gosh this was almost three years ago now there's still a a tennis dm group that got created after that like right around that same time we still talk tennis every single day and one day he had a sec he had a burner account that probably still has (laughs) just for he was just using it for goofing around and and testing some things and he, he showed me he was making uh trying to make like a Periscope video and seeing how that was going. And we joked around about starting a podcast. And uh, I told him he had a, what was it, a face for radio and a voice for newspaper, which is a fun <laughs> old saying. And he thought that was pretty funny. And we ended up just kind of riffing off that and said, well, hell, let's just make a podcast, which I don't have to tell you, harder than it sounds. A lot of, a lot of bumps in the road. A lot of figuring things out. We've used a lot of different recording methods, but I, th- we, I think we've got it halfway nailed down for still being 
pretty guerrilla radio over here. And, and, you know, from there it's been at least it's been over two years. We've been doing it for over two years, over a couple hundred episodes. And it has been such a boon to teaching me the ways of uh, being a better gambler. Just, uh, I don't think there's anything more important than networking in, in almost, maybe almost anything, but I think maybe we were a little lucky as far as like getting maybe fast tracked, you want to say it in, in the education and, you know, you can probably speak to this too. You speak to a lot of smart people and we've interviewed a lot of smart people. We've interviewed professional gamblers. We interviewed, you know, people who sell picks. We interviewed people who, you know, do a lot of the analytics in the sports and we end up having those little conversations on the air. You have them off the air. Yeah, there's been a few times where we've you know we've done an hour podcast and we've had somebody on the line for three three and a half hours where we talk a whole bunch before and a whole bunch after and we, I, you know I've I've gleaned so much from those conversations. It's been really awesome just talking to so many smart people, learning so much. And I'll often there'll often be a you know a little DM on the side between Whale and I afterwards, like oh my god, I you know we just. Like, I didn't realize X, Y, and Z and all these things that we just learned in the last few hours. So that's been, like I said, it's just been a fast track to to learning. And, you know, the, the Internet's a nasty place. There's a lot of nasty people. Gambling Twitter can be pretty toxic at times with a lot of the, the hate and the trolls. But if you, uh, if you sift through that and find the good people out there, you can learn so much. And I think that's, that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, I was going to say there's no shortage of, uh, let's just call it feedback in the gambling Twitter world and <laughs> putting, it's amazing, you put things out in the public domain, you often have no idea how they're going to land or if they're going to stick or if they're going to fall flat and then, you know, sometimes sometimes you get a couple of uh, nice comments out of it but generally as things go, there's, there's plenty of negativity and certainly in, in our world, I wanted to ask because you guys have... I mean, you've sent earthquakes out into the world with some of your podcasts, and certainly in gambling Twitter. I remember the time you probably had three or four weeks in a row where you, I think you covered, you covered the tad industry, you covered affiliates, you covered four or five things in a row where it was really igniting the, uh, the gambling Twitterverse and most people who are online involved in, in our space with the sports betting podcast world were pretty active around that time. Do you remember that period of time when you were sort of, Stoking the fire on a few different things that often aren't talked about in too much detail. Yeah, that was uh, that was a wild month there. We just after one of those came out, said, "Well, let's just hit all the nasty topics right in a row, I guess." But uh, the, you know, the first year we did the NFL podcasting, and then we got to the off season and said, "This is fun. We're enjoying ourselves. Let's let's touch on a bunch of topics that we." You know, we normally wouldn't have time for with the NFL, interview some people. So that first off season was kind of just touch and go as far as, you know, we'd, we'd spin ideas at each other. I believe we had maybe well, that was the Winter Olympics year even. We had some time to fill with that. You know, the, there's there was always events. We touched on all the horse racing events, the Triple Crown and the hot dog eating contest and anything we could talk about until football came around again. But then, yeah, like you said, last year, we tried to take all the stuff we'd learned, you know, and maybe spread it out a little further to anyone who was listening, put out some evergreen content. That was a lot of fun because there was, like you said, there was some conversations. And if you had to, if I had to guess between those three, the three big ones, the affiliate model, touting and closing line value, <laughs> I wouldn't have thought closing line value would have been the most controversial, but geez, that got that I mean that that's a topic that still gets pounded into the ground and you have people standing pretty firm on both sides of it but i I can strongly say closing line value and the efficiency of highly liquid betting markets is probably one of the biggest realizations I've ever had as far as you know in the in sports wagering space for sure so that uh you know, and not it didn't just get discussed by a bunch of trolls either. It was it was really interesting because I mean there was a lot of smart people discussing it back and forth. There were some professional handicappers going back and forth uh, on that, and I think a lot of the points got splayed out there for people to see, and it really hammered home some of the things we were trying to push on that one. 
Absolutely, yeah, and it was it was very noticeable because it. <laughs> I think there's some consensus land when it comes to closing land value that most smarter people will will congregate around, and then there's some sort of blurry gray areas that might not be as clear, and then there's some, I guess, less than uh, controversial areas that hopefully no one would tend to land on if they did a fair bit of research into closing line value, but even some very smart people or smarter people in the world of gambling Twitter, if that's a thing, were, were heading to that way, which was really interesting, and I guess that's the value of certainly you guys talking about it, and, it's, and I, I like the the raw quality to it all where you guys are, you really are just having a conversation. There's no, there's no editing. There's no, uh, I'm sure there's not days and days of preparation and trying to make every word count and every word perfect. It really is a, a true deep dive into it. And, you know, everything's on the, on the table, everything's exposed and you guys are just trying to figure it out. Yeah. It's, it's funny. You say like the editing and the prep, you know, we do prep and a lot of the prep for the NFL, it's fun because, uh, uh, most of my prep for the NFL is just stuff I'm doing anyway. I'm, I'm wanting to bet the NFL. I'm interested in watching and following the NFL, uh, you know, the chat DM groups on Twitter, people I speak to in real life. I mean, and then just all week long, I'm, the NFL's coming up and we're tracking injuries, watching the markets, things like that. So the, you know, the preparation for the regular podcasts are pretty easy, I guess. We're just, it's something I'm going to do either way, but yeah, the, there was one very early on that I got a call when I was driving home from my office from from Whale from Drew, and he said, "Hey, we we didn't we didn't record that one. Like that one, <laughs> that one didn't get recorded. And it was, I mean, it was an hour or something that we just didn't get recorded. And I said, well, sh- you know, like that was a." that was one of the regular scheduled ones like that kind of has to go out we made we made a commitment do you just want to re-record it tomorrow and we did and at the end of it we're like god that was that was a really good episode that was like our best episode (laughs) it it makes you really think what uh what you could do if you had any sort of preparation time and did some rehearsing or scripting or something you know the most we've ever done with is with some guests who have requested you know, a little bit of an outline and we'll throw some things back and forth. And maybe the, the NFL previews, we do, we do share some information on that and what, you know, what direction we're going to head with what teams, but yeah, like the, the regular NFL podcast, there is very little prep. So it is usually from the hip and you can tell, cause sometimes we, we say some stuff that doesn't make any sense if we miss some news. I think it's a credit to you guys. That you're able to do it at that level all the time. And it's not your nine to five day job doing a podcast. So I think that's it's very cool. I wanted to to ask you about your your betting, your handicapping, your analysis, all of that in one. What is what is your style? If you had to self evaluate and put something down on paper, a couple of sentences or a couple of words, how would you assess yourself when it comes to betting, whether it is NFL or any of the other sports? I think, and this is probably one of the lessons that has stuck with me too, is you can't. You can't pigeonhole yourself as oh I'm I'm very contrarian or I'm I'm very analytical or I, I always play with my guts. You know, people if if you start thinking you have to bet a certain way, you're probably going to end up having some bad results. I think every market is just so different as far as you know. You talk about the CLV thing, and that's something I've come to grips with. You know, after I made my closing line value realization, and I was a fully believer in it. I was a staunch CLV guy. I, yeah, I'd argued with people about it a little, and maybe I was a maybe I was a little off base with how hardcore I got there. I was militant for a, a few months, and I think I've come to the realization that CLV is a bit of a spectrum. I guess as far as you know, CLV isn't going to matter on a, a twenty-five dollar prop. It's going to matter a lot on a you know, an EPL bet or an NFL bet or anything in a huge liquid market, you know, there's a, there's a big difference. And I think the same thing goes with betting any of these markets. You said a couple sentences. I, I'm not doing very good at that, I guess, but <laughs> you know, just different markets have to have different approaches. I think is my, my sentiment. That would be it in a nutshell. You can't go looking at the college basketball market in the same way you're approaching the NFL market, just based on how the markets move the kind of people that are betting into them, how often the games occur, how liquid certain markets are. Just no two markets can be approached the same way, I don't think, at least not with a, a high measure of success. 
And with that said, I, I think there's, I've found that there's markets I shouldn't bet if I don't have the time, knowledge, or, you know, I mean, the basic know-how. There's things where, I mean, I can go bet hockey, but I'll probably lose money. So that that's, uh, that's probably lesson number one for a lot of people. When you come across things that you're not very good at or you are terribly bad at or you just completely suck at, how do you go about rectifying that or how do you go about you know smoothing out those weaknesses or or being able to i guess overcome some of those things that you're just not going to be able to be i guess world class at when it comes to betting and handicapping yeah that's where you you got to make a decision to either figure it out or, or just leave it alone and some of those markets like i i don't do a whole lot with nba but i talk to a bunch of people who are super smart with the nba and I trust their input. And if I'm really going to make an NBA bet, it's probably going to be somebody else's NBA bet. You know, I'm 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 not uh, I'm not equipped with the knowledge, the stats. I guess I could start scraping a bunch of NBA stuff, but I don't know if uh, I'd put it together. I had that conversation with somebody about about modeling the other day, and we decided that you know anybody can go scrape you know scrape stats from the internet. It's it's how you how you take them and weight them and put them together and decide how to use them and what's predictive out of it. So I could go get a bunch of NBA or NHL stats. I, I still don't think I'd be any good at it at this point. I'd have to, have to take a pretty big learning curve, I think, at this you know at this juncture in my betting career to be, be any good at those markets at the moment. That's why I think maybe speci- specialization is maybe too much of a word for it. You don't have to really really needle down into one market and ignore everything else but knowing your limitations is probably a good way to protect the bankroll because uh, you know you go back to noob andy when i was first betting even years and years ago when i was really first betting i recently found out i had a an offshore account that opened up like 15 years ago i didn't realize i didn't realize it'd been that long like i couldn't even drink it's probably <laughs> like 19 when this opened yeah, but uh, you know, even even several years ago, when I first you know delved into the gambling Twitterverse, I was I'd bet on everything. I mean, just anything, all the major sports, college, anything I'd get my hands on, because I thought you know just I, I'd watch those sports. I watch enough baseball, I should be able to beat this. I watch basketball, I should be able to pick winners, and that is not the case. You really uh, you really need to limit yourself to what you what you're capable of, otherwise. You know, all your wins and, you know, say like I I've, I had a good NFL season last year. I had a good college basketball season. If I'd have sat and bet baseball all summer, I'd have probably just gave that back. It kind of defeats the purpose of putting in all the time and effort. Right. And you talked about some of the limitations then. One of the biggest limitations for professional gamblers is time. And obviously for those non-professional, it's, it's even more of a limitation. How do you how do you approach your betting with, with obviously time being – not necessarily on your side, and there are, I guess you have to prioritize things, there are certain things you have to do. Tell us a little bit about what your typical process looks like with that in mind. Yeah, time, man, that's the big one. Uh, even even for people, I'm sure that if, if it's their full-time job, I'm sure they feel that same crunch. I only have so many hours in the day, I have 100 ideas, I can't, I can't make 100 models and backtest them all. You got to kind of pick and choose, and I think that's the other big part of why I'm not diving into some of these, you know, some of these leagues that I'm, I'm not super comfortable with. I just don't have the time. I ended up having a long conversation one afternoon about hockey stats with someone who knows you know, quite a bit. Uh, we got into the Corsi and all the other stuff, and he got to talking about some player level stats that he was using years ago. And eventually, I realized like my eyes were glazing over and. It just wasn't going to happen. I'm like, oh, we're just we're just going to put the NHL on the back burner for right now, and we'll just we'll just deal on NFL and golf for the fall. And I, I think yeah, time time is probably the biggest one. But um, the main reason or the main way I've found to overcome the time hurdle is being able to automate more of your processes. And which it's funny, like time was a huge hurdle. I found a way around it, and it was just another hurdle. It was like, oh, I I don't know how to code. I don't know coding that well. I don't, I barely, you know, know my way around Excel all that well. And uh, that was something I've been working on the last few years. 
and again, it's just, you know, I have a job, I have a family, I have a podcast. It, it leaves very little time for me to sit and educate myself, but I have learned a little bit of R. I'm picking that up. That seems to be easier for me because I tried a little Python and R seems a lot more uh, intuitive to my mind. I've gone, I've gone just basically the way of self-education. I talked to, again, just networking. A few people I know who have picked up some coding, they showed me some good sites, some good videos, and I think that I still have a long way to go about that. But if if you are serious, I don't think there's any two any two ways about it. You do need to minimally get halfway decent at you know using Excel as a as a way to automate some of this stuff. And then I think once you get to a certain point, you'll find out how hard it is to scrape information to Excel. And you'll have to move on to R or Python. And that's kind of where I'm at. And I think I think it's one of those uphill climbs where once you get there, there's a nice easy plateau. Because I've I think once once I become a little more, you know, apt at using some of these coding languages and I'm able to scrape the information I want and manipulate it how I want, just the, the ability to automate some of that stuff is going to open up some more possibilities for some of the things I'm doing. Because even just, I bet a lot of golf over the summer and it was just super time consuming, scraping, scraping all the data by myself and manipulating it by hand and in a lot of cases on Excel. And I think if, if I can, if I can speed up that process, that's going to be just, a, that's going to be huge. It's going to be really, really important. And I mean, a hundred people, I'm, I'm sure you've had people say this on the podcast before. It's, you know, it's 2019. You got to learn how to code. Is it only upside and is only positive when you're talking about learning how to code, learning Python or R or whatever it might be, or being able to scrape much of the data that you want and then utilize it? Or is there a couple of steps back when it comes to heading down that path as well? Think about maybe a couple of years ago when you were doing it more manually to, to now, even though it may not be at an extremely high level when it comes to, to coding and, and using some of those languages. Do you, do you think that it is all positive or is there some downside to it? I guess I'd, I'd have to have an example of the downside. I mean, just an upside example of something I learned, and, and I was still only using Excel. But, um, again, I've heard this from 100 different people too. Google's your friend. Don't be, don't feel dumb if you have to Google stuff, especially, I mean, even just in Microsoft Excel. There are a thousand functions. There's packs you can add. There's... You know, there's all kinds of things you can add for distributions and just even just basic functions that you don't you're not really sure how they work. I googled a lot of things to make to make. Oh, my phone just popped up because I said Google. It tried to get me to search <laughs> something there, um, I, but I googled a lot of stuff to try to figure out how to make my N, or NCAA basketball model more automated, where I wouldn't have to do as much work every day to compare what my numbers said with the lines. And eventually I was able to. It wasn't perfect. I'm sure there's plenty of people out there that could have done a way better job and done way, way less work from day to day. But it helped me because I had more time and I was able to do more due diligence because the process time for me to, to run the numbers, decide what plays I liked, it was cut probably in a quarter. Like I, I had 75% more time to take a look at each play that the model popped and go look because I was betting pretty small schools. I was, I mean, really, really small conferences, niche markets where if a player gets hurt, it's not, you know, it's not national news. It's not getting thrown on the ESPN blotter. Say, you know, the, the guard for Duke is hurt this weekend. So it really, it really helped me as far as narrowing down some of the reasoning that my model is popping on some some numbers. Like there there was a few plays I was able to stay off of as I looked up some of the reasoning, whether it was, you know, hey, this is maybe a bad travel spot or this team has some players injured and I'm not accounting for that in my numbers. So I, I don't I don't see a huge downside unless unless you had an example. I think just the extra time gives you extra time to do other things to keep improving your process. Yeah, I think some people talk about just the when a lot more of it is automated, you lose that, I guess, doing it manually, you feel like you're more ingrained into the process, you're more ingrained as part of the handicap sometimes or the analysis as opposed to, you know, the numbers crunching, um, you know, using some of the coding languages and using some other ways to automate it. 
I guess they a lot of people tell me they feel less certain in the beginning, certainly about mm. their. I guess whether or not the data is correct, whether or not the process is correct, whether or not these numbers make any more sense than doing it more manually with obviously the reading and then even using minor Excel and, and stuff like that. Sometimes that can be lost or or just maybe taking a season where you're, you're betting far smaller, you're less confident overall in the entire process. But that one season where you might have taken a step back or two, uh, that'll make you, I guess, propel forward in the next couple of seasons because you'll be able to have more confidence in what you've learned, what you've done already, and then hopefully it may not be, you know, season one of NFL where you're trying new things with, with Python and R, but it might be three, four, five, six seasons down the line where you can utilize all of those skills and you're willing to take a back seat for a while until you're far more confident in, in those skills. Yeah, no, I get that totally. And I don't think I don't think there'll ever be and maybe someone can discount this, but I don't think personally, myself, no matter how good I could ever get at coding, scraping, weighting the numbers and putting together my own proprietary algorithms to determine you know, whether I should make a play or not, I don't think I'll ever have like a black box model if that, you know, that's what I yeah. think that's kind of the jargon they're using for that. And maybe, I don't think maybe anybody should where you're just inputting inputs and taking the outputs and betting them i i don't think i could ever get to that point and that and that's just like i was saying i loved having the extra time so i could i could add to the process give it a little more you know research that wasn't just comparing numbers that i'd smushed together in a spreadsheet i was able to actually do some some due diligence on the actual game check out you know a few more factors and take that into the handicap too because, you know, just like I said, with the no two markets are the same. I don't think any two handicaps are the same, even within the own, mar- you know, a, a single market. You do need to take each each individual bet and kind of turn it over a few times, maybe make a case against it. But, uh, you know, still with the with the modeling, it was a it was a nice it was a nice step as far as having something to base everything off of, especially once I did a few tweaks and. You know, there were there were times where, if I would have just black bet or black black box bet it, I would have, I would have probably got some some really bad results. There was, there were some things that I just couldn't figure out with uh, college basketball last year, for example. Uh, some of the some of the really really good teams that are technically in a mid major conference, like a Gonzaga, a Nevada, a few of these teams that are. You know, they're they're in a small conference, but they're head and shoulders above. You know, they're a ranked team. My numbers said to just bet against them every week, all the time, every time, no matter what. And eventually I realized, well, that's <laughs> that's just you know, that's just the, they're they're outliers. They're tail you know, it's a it's a long tail of the distribution as far as the teams that are all in these small conferences. They aren't, you know, they aren't able to be quantified by the numbers I'm using. They need adjustments and I ended up just throwing them out because I wasn't I wasn't comfortable with the adjustments I, as far as what I thought they should be. I didn't know if I'd be able to make the right adjustments on them and I ended up just taking some of those and throwing them out. And that's where I think like you said, I didn't just, you know, let the spreadsheet dictate what I was doing. I kind of put my own thoughts into it too. Do you suggest others go down the path of, of learning? You've kind of said yes already, but just generally when you speak to other people about it who might be currently just spreadsheet warriors and are doing a lot of it themselves, either manually or working through their spreadsheets, do you suggest that they jump over and start digging into some of the stuff you've already looked at or what's the, what's the I guess, the best approach for them, some of those people who are thinking about it? I think so. I think you should if you have the time, the energy, and the willingness because it's not – I mean, even like 10, 15 years ago, I'm not sure that you could learn this sort of stuff for free like you can today. Yeah, no like way. You'd have, to go to, you'd have to go to college and get a, you know, a computer science degree or at, at worst, you know, like a tech school and learn some stuff like this, whereas now – I mean, I I haven't really I haven't paid a dime for a lot of the knowledge I've I've picked up. Like I said, even just googling things and how do I make 
Excel, you know, figure the mean of these cells, but exclude this. And I've done a lot of Googling where I don't think Google has really made sense of what I'm trying to ask and <laughs> had to figure it out. But you know, just just YouTube, the, the amount of people that are fully willing to just make long YouTube videos explaining some of the, the basic concepts. And once you have the basic concepts of a language, that, and that's where you just start playing with it yourself. And, and then all of a sudden you're in the same boat where you, you know, you're at the same point in a coding language as you were as in Excel. I know how to use Excel. I don't know how to make it do everything I want it to do. Once you get to the basics of like R and you're using R Studio and taking some numbers and playing with them, then it's just a, a matter of how do I make R do this? What's a, you know, there's a ton of resources. There's forums. There's people on Twitter that talk constantly about, you know, their coding. And the, the, really, it's a kind of a nice community, too, as far as just sharing the data that's out there. There's some there's some really good accounts on Twitter for that, too. So I guess I'd recommend it. If, if it's something that interests you, I think people need to realize it's it's not as daunting a task as probably it seemed to be. I think that's my my understanding of it right now, because at first I don't remember who the first person was that said like, you, you know, Andy, you should probably learn R and Python or something along those lines. It'll make a big difference. Cause we've talked to just on the deep dive, a number of people who use quite a bit of coding and they all said the same thing. Like this is the next step. This is how you're going to get better at this. And it was always like, yeah, you know, that seems like, it seems like something that might be a little out of my reach at this point, but I think that was the biggest realization was it's not it's not that difficult to get the basics down, and I'm still pretty pretty much a noob with with some of this coding, but it's it's a process, and I think it is going to pay dividends in the long run for me. Do you think you're better at it because you have an underlying passion for the betting and the the handicapping of these games, and that combined with the ability to learn it has helped, or do you think? any average person on the street who doesn't bet uh, who had the same experience would be able to do it in the same way. Well, and that's another, another thing too. Yeah. I think the passion is there and seeing the fruits of your labor, seeing the results. Yeah. Like again, even back to the Excel, it took a lot of time for me to get that Excel sheet doing what I wanted it to do. And I've used, you know, I have a bunch of different Excel sheets that are doing a bunch of different things over the past few years, and not all of them very successfully. Some of them were abandoned pretty quickly. But uh, once you see the the end results, it, it's like, oh man, that was that was worth the time. Like it, it absolutely. And it, I think it's going to be the same case with some of the coding stuff. Once I'm up, up to snuff and getting it doing some of the things I want it to do, just uh, the same goes with math. I've I've spent a lot of time learning. Re I, I say learning. I'm going to say relearning, even though I'm not 100% sure I learned some of this in school because I think I've forgotten more math than I can remember. But some of these things that you probably said in school, like, ah, oh, when am I ever going to use that? It, it's no fun just taking math classes and trying to get a passing grade for a grade is, you know, what is a grade except to, you know, to get a degree. And, you know, in the case of learning some of the math f that you use every day in, in betting, it's it's a lot more fun when there's a tangible result and it's useful. So picking up some of the, the underlying math concepts, that, that's that been fun, too. I think it's the same kind of the same kind of deal as the coding, you know, just spending the time actually figuring out some of the, the underlying math behind some of the some of the processes and some of the, you know, key understandings about betting that that's been a lot of that's been a lot of fun too just because you're, you're seeing a result at the end so let's jump to the betting then tell me are you better at betting uh after going through you know a number of years uh, of doing it in obviously different sports and and different approaches do you think that's true whether it's you know just being able to watch a screen and see lines moving and be able to predict it a little bit better or be a bit quicker at, at acknowledging certain things and things like that. Do you think you've you've grown in that space as well as the, the handicap and analysis that we've talked about in the coding stuff? Oh, I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, just just go look at my bank records as far as <laughs> not having a bunch of not having a bunch of uh, reloads. I, I mean, I can remember back back when I was younger, you know, it was very, very small betting, but 
I, I couldn't make a deposit last more than a couple of weeks in the NFL. And I mean, that was just kind of the case. And I, I think a lot of people are there where it's just betting isn't a, a game they're beating. It's just a, one of the expenses they have for the month. Like, oh, I got to I got to put more, more in or I got to pay the bookie or, you know, I, I got to bring more cash down to the sports book. To, to make my bets this weekend. I don't have any winning tickets to bring. And I mean, that's that's where I was. That's where I was early on. And even like I said, when I first joined up on, made my, you know, my gambling Twitter burner account that was just going to be for following along because that was, uh, that was exciting for me when I first saw that people were just posting free plays. Like, oh man, people are just putting free plays in here and I'm, I'm just going to bet what they bet because they have to know what they're talking about. They're putting it on the internet. Like, I'm just, I'm just going to follow these people and probably get rich. And I, I don't have to tell you how that went. So that was just <laughs> more of me, just more of me reloading, reloading these uh, offshores. And, you know, the last couple of years, I won money in the NFL. I did pretty decent on some future bets. Um, the, the net, and the networking thing, again, back to the networking thing, I've made a lot of future bets over the past few years based on people I trust that uh, give me good information. Uh, and and even, even some of it's not like behind closed doors, secret meetings as far as, you know, hey, you should bet this and don't tell anybody. I mean, there's... There's people out here, good people that are just putting good information out on the daily. Like I have a, I have a Joe Burrow Heisman 100 to one. There's people that have 200 to one. I mean, there's there's just some good college handicappers that are putting that information out before the season. Like I'm, I'm sitting real pretty on that. Yeah, I mean, I, absolutely. I have plenty of, I have plenty of bad future bets, but I, I cashed a rookie of the year bet today in the in the MLB thanks to somebody. And like I said, I don't really follow the the major league baseball markets all that close. That was a hundred percent someone else giving me some information. So I think between between that, just having having a good network of people to pass on good information on the markets I don't bet and having learned all the lessons I've learned in the past couple of years, whether it's closing line value you know, taking the, taking the actual time to watch the markets, uh, timing your bets. You know, I was, I was the guy who'd made all my NFL bets on Sunday morning, like an hour before the game. And quickly, you're, you're not getting a lot of closing line value doing that for the most part, unless you, you consider yourself the buyback. You know, the, the market entry, we learned that was such a big thing. Tracking your bets. Boy, you, you really don't know how bad you're doing until you put it to a spreadsheet when you're, when you're first doing it. That was, a, that was an eye-opening realization for me, just the self-evaluation of, like, what am, I, what am I doing betting, like, you know, 75 plays this week already? Yeah, you know, you're going to tighten up quickly if you actually take a look and do a self-evaluation. So all the stuff we've learned from everybody else over the past couple of years, it's been, it's been nice to uh, take some money out of the sports books. Absolutely, and I, I wanted to ask on the betting side: Do you delve into first halves, second halves, first quarters, uh, different props on receiving yards and things like that, over unders, all the different possibilities? Now you'll it's it's not crazy to open up a a sportsbook app and see a couple of hundred different options for you know an NFL game or even a college game uh, coming up, and I think it's obviously it all relates back to the the spread, you know, the total, for example, it's. It's pretty derivative in that sense, but have you spent the time to dig into different areas and think about those? And if you have, has that had an impact on your betting? I haven't gotten too deep into derivatives. I don't, again, it's another time thing. I think if there is something I'm going to get into in the NFL that's not just pregame, you know, betting during the week, it's got to be live betting. Yeah. Because even just, even just running some some really really simplistic numbers during the week and and realizing you know there's a reason they have to charge a lot of these live books are charging 15 cents on both sides and i think they have to because i i just don't know if their if their numbers are quite as sharp as they think they are or maybe they realize it and that's why some are even charging 20 cents a side or you know the hold is pretty high on that well i do, you know i do get into some of the props i think season long props there's an argument to be made that it's not good to let a sports book hold part of your bankroll all year, but man, we found some 
pretty weak season-long props in the NFL, and a lot of it was just by accident. You know, like I said, we doing these doing these preview podcasts for the NFL during the preseason. I was sitting there opening up all ten of my sports books and just taking screenshots of anything they had to offer for as we went division by division. And I ended up, you know, just pulling to win the division and to win the conference and a few things. And then I said, ah, there's more than that, and started pulling all the player props for the year. And, oh, man, things were just starting to stick out like sore thumbs. And, you know, injuries helped us and hurt us on a few of those, but I, a bunch of good positions were taken there. I, I think I, I'm not quite there with the time as far as player props for games, but there that's another one where – I know some people who are. There's some really sharp people as far as uh, as far as betting player props game by game, and you know a lot of the a lot of the DFS community guys once they start delving into that and crossing over into sports betting, there's going to be a lot of there's going to be a lot of sharp money in the player props, and like you said, it's getting to be more prevalent, especially as more of these onshore books come on in the U.S. So do you think? monitoring a screen looking at the different outs whether it is you know manually through different tabs on your on your uh your chrome web browser or using something like don best or, or other services do you think there's a benefit in that for those looking at expanding their i guess skill set in betting and not just being good at, at handicapping and doing the analysis and figuring out what number they like but spending the time and and really digging into what some of those moves mean and don't mean. It's a deep, dark world sometimes, but do you think there's there's value for those who are interested? Yeah, absolutely, and especially in the, in the bigger markets in the NFL. I think maybe, you know, outside of the betting and the podcast and just, you know, being, being right's fun. I mean, not even winning the bet, but just really nailing a bet and being right, the, the Pittsburgh game, by me and Whale and honestly a whole bunch of other people kind of had the same thoughts. That felt good to just kind of nail the handicap there with the the Pittsburgh pass rush causing havoc and Pittsburgh being in that game. That's probably the best feeling, the most fun there is. But the second most fun thing is just watching the markets through the week. And, you know, we, we do it. We do a podcast right away on Sunday when the markets start to open again after the games. And, you know, in real time, there's you can see moves coming in. And as you track it, when limits go up later in the week, you get to see was that an actual position? Was somebody just was, you know, there's been some pretty heavy fake outs in the NFL where the money comes in one way for the first couple of days. Limits go up and all of a sudden Thursday just gets hammered the other way where. You know, something's obviously getting set up for somebody to come in heavy on the other side. And, uh, you know, just the things we've learned about who's moving numbers at what time from behind the scenes. It's It's been really interesting to have a better grip on what should be discounted and what should actually be taken, to, you know, taken into the handicap when you're watching the NFL markets. Because, I mean, just open up even, you know, like the SBR screen or I use an app. That's just a free app called Scores and Odds that you can find on any phone. And j- just watching those numbers pop right away on a Sunday and they start to move right away. It's one of the more interesting things, I think. And do you, I guess, keep that somewhere internally when you're looking at the screen? You might say, geez, the Detroit Lions every Sunday, they keep you know dropping half a point or a point straight away. Or there's different things you can pick up that kind of get embedded into your DNA when you're betting. Yeah, and I mean, even just some of the early on, there were some totals that were, you know I just didn't agree with right away, and it said, you know, there's there's not there's not a strong a strong case for some of these maybe, but it's it's off, like it's off as far as maybe market perception is a good way to say it, like maybe I don't stick this bet out. Maybe I don't I don't uh, see it to you know all the way through and I'll buy out later. But you do have that option where you can just see like the market's not going to put up with that. The, you know, fifty one's too much. That's going to get bet down to forty eight and a half, forty nine. And if you don't like your closing line value, you can you can shoot for a tiny little middle or just buy your way out or buy your way out for part of it. I've done that on quite a few Sundays where I've taken positions and just shot for a middle or something changes later on and you're still sitting on value you can you can always find your way out of it so 
I think uh, – and having having a grip, having a little bit of a – having your own model, having your own numbers and having a grip on what the market perception is of teams and what things normally happen on a Sunday, that's going to help you quite a bit. So I was listening to one of you guys, one of your shows, and I think it was – might have been the very first game of the season. I'm a Falcons fan. I think you guys were talking about Falcons, Vikings, and I assume you're a Vikings man. Do you have a sense if you're better or worse betting on your own teams or teams you follow or teams you like or, you know, people who bet who went to certain colleges that have pretty strong basketball or football programs? I'm always curious to talk to people about that and if they think they're better at picking those teams or worse and also if they've been tracking it like you might have been yourself. Do you know if you're better at betting on the Vikings or against the Vikings or how that plays out? I, I don't know if I have a Viking-specific um, try. I should go back and look over the last couple <laughs> of years because I have bet on or against them. And, oh, boy, you know, it goes back to a couple – this is a, this is one we didn't do when we did uh, heuristics, uh, cognitive biases. This is maybe the hardest cognitive bias is being a fan because how many people do you think get into this and – you know, weren't a fan of sports at all. I'm sure there's some people like that, the real hard number nerds that don't care for sports at all, but everybody's got favorite teams. That's so hard. It's so difficult, I think, to separate yourself from from fandom. And I think that's where I do have to take a lot of steps back when the when the Vikings are involved. I think my, my fandom has the, that flame has cooled from when I was a younger man. I used to live and die. I I mean, I cried after they lost to the Falcons in 98. Granted, I was like, you know, a junior high kid. But I, I used to take losses really hard. I used to cheer and, you know, just, just uh, like I said, talking to people who bet here in Minnesota in real life. Like, there's definitely, you know, the bias is not a, it's not a fake thing. That's a definite real thing. Minnesota takes a lot of money at the, at the sports books down in Iowa from what I saw when I went down for the Packers game. And it's, it's difficult. I don't think I'll f- ever fully be able to get out from under that weight. And maybe nobody can. I think there's probably people out there that just say, you know, I don't bet. I don't bet the games for the teams that, uh, that I cheer for. Cause I don't think I can, I know myself well enough or I don't think I have a clear picture of it. Yeah. And I think maybe there's the, those who are doing only black box betting and they can somehow figure it out. But it's funny. It seems to go in, I guess, waves or cycles where for a while I was very much on the, the train of, yeah, it's my team. I have no idea. I'm either way I suck. And then for a while there, I was like, look, if I really, really like them to win, um, they're probably going to lose type thing. And it was always a negative thing. And then eventually it came back around. I was like, no, I'm, I'm pretty good at picking when I think they're going to lose. And then they play pretty crappy and then they, they tend to lose. But now I'm, I think I'm at the point where I just have no clue. And I don't think, you know, the, the Saints game on the weekend helped that too much or trying to pick the week. The Falcons were going to come out of that slump before the bye and going pretty ordinary at doing that. And it's, I think it's just one of those things that I think we, it is a bias. We think we think we know more than we know, and we don't. And then it just it just gets more agitating as you get more deeper into it. Yeah, I mean, it's the the definition of a bias. It's it's subconscious. It's it's in your head. I don't know if you, I don't know if you can think your way out of it. I think a lot of the times when when I do have a position that I think is a you know a good a good position to take, and it's on a, a Vikings game, I'll ask other people I talk to. You know, I talk to five, six people every single day about the NFL, and a lot of times I just have to get their opinion. And I won't, I won't even always phrase it as, "Hey, maybe I'm not seeing this right." Just like, "Hey, what do you, what do you think of the, you know, what do you think of the Cowboys line this weekend?" Yeah, no, it's it is an interesting one, uh, Andy. We could talk for hours, but I do have one final question for you before I do let you go. I want to ask, what's next for you in terms of betting, handicapping? the podcast, anything. Are you? Do you have any ambitions or are you happy to just ride the wave as long as you can and see what happens, see where it takes you on the, the coding front, the betting front, the media front? What's what's some of the things you might be thinking about moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I, I love doing this. It's just been so fun. Like I said, meeting the people, some of the interviews we've done, I, I mean, those are people I might never have gotten to talk to 
there's some, some high profile professional handicappers we've had on the podcast. I mean, you, you can say the same thing, you know, there's, I'm sure there's some very interesting people you've loved talking to when you, as you've done these episodes, I think that's been a highlight of this whole thing. I'm just, you know, moving forward, we, I don't know, we, we waffle on that and it's, it is because we have, you know, we have lives, full-time jobs and things like that, but I think we're just going to keep going, doing what we're doing and, uh, we love the interaction from everyone. We love the the halftime podcast or the halftime periscopes. You get a lot of fun comments from people that, uh, you know, hopefully they're not taking our, you know, the handicap we're putting together in like five minutes too seriously and getting too heavy on those bets. But it is fun to put together some halftime bets every week on the on the primetime games. And, you know, we have done a little advertising. We're, we're feeling a little more professional now, but we're just, we're trying to be so picky about some of the the advertising because there have been there have been emails from from you know advertisers that we've had to say ah that's just that's not our bag I'm not sure I feel super cool about doing that but it, it is nice to do a little bit of advertising feel like a little bit of a professional podcast here and pay for some of the expenses on the you know the website and I don't have to tell you there are, there are a few expenses that go along with running something like this. Yeah, I think time is the first one, and then outside of that, there are things that people probably don't think about or appreciate that go into making sure it gets out every week, and I'm kind of like you guys. I think there's some badge of honor to being able to to keep it up week after week, and you guys obviously do a lot more than I do, but uh, for those who are living under a rock who are wondering what we're talking about, if you go to at Deep Dive Pod on Twitter, you'll see uh, Andy and the Whale do their pod and the Periscopes, and I've seen some stuff with Side Boss, and there's a few other things uh, you guys got going on, which is great. I think it's um, part of the part of the camaraderie of this sort of gambling Twitterverse is to to get involved in things that make sense and that feel authentic, and then try and shy away from things that aren't. So I think you guys just do a, as good a job as anyone on that front, and it's certainly fun <laughs> chucking on some of those periscopes, wondering where Whale's going to be, what sunglasses he's going to be wearing, or what Hawaiian shirt and what your backdrop might be this week or if you're going to be uh on the road or at home it's 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 certainly fun for me as a fan of you guys so i'm i'm hoping you keep it up for a while yeah definitely for the foreseeable future it just it doesn't feel like work like i i think that's the biggest thing for us right now like it it doesn't feel like oh man i got to make a podcast tonight oh i got to i got to talk to people at halftime like i'm i'm watching those games anyway I'm I'm gonna be hanging around watching the the games. I love talking to the NFL. I'm gonna spend the time. So yeah, it doesn't feel like work. So I think we'll, for the foreseeable future, continue to do that. Awesome. Before you go, Andy, just uh, Twitter handle for those who are interested in connecting, following along, or sending you a a direct message with some uh, thoughts on the podcast or things moving forward with their betting. Oh, and yeah, like you said, the podcast it's at at Deep Dive Pod. My handle on Twitter is at Andy M S F W. Just eight letters. Pretty easy. Awesome, Andy. Thank you very much for coming on the show. No, thanks a lot. It's been great talking to you. Too.